we started setting goals and I would say, here's the goals and here's the KPIs that I want to see. We're here. We need to get to here. And then I would just push this off to the middle manager. And I would say this, it's on you now to achieve it. If you need anything from me, let me know. But instead of becoming a task manager, I became a goal manager and I didn't care what they did in their departments. Many Amazon sellers think business growth is the same as sales growth. But if you're smarter, you know e-commerce businesses are sold as a multiple of profits, not of sales. So if you want to build a sellable business, you need to grow profits. And to grow profits, you need to cut waste and increase profitable sales. Our new quick assessment helps you identify your biggest Amazon profit killer and what to do about it. Go to AmazonProfitQuiz.com. That's AmazonProfitQuiz.com to get your free instant diagnosis. Ladles and jelly spoons, boys and girls, welcome back to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon sellers. Today we are talking with Mina Elias of Trivium and also founder of MMA Nutrition. Double trouble here. He's got the background of e-commerce business founding and running, also running an agency for business owners. And the main thing we're talking about today is how to manage remote workers. We talked in the last episode about how to hire them. And Mina had a fantastic process for that. So if you didn't hear that, please go and listen to that. You'll really thank me. And now we've got them. We've got to manage them. So Mina, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me again in such a short amount of time. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. Okay, coming back straight back around for another visit. Okay, we talked about hiring people. Now we've got them. What do we do? You've got somebody, you're paying them. What's the next step? Okay, so like we ha- there's a few ways to manage. There's a lot of software out there. There's a, you, there you have a sauna, you have this, you have that. And I want to basically now as a really a bigger and more advanced agency, we use Notion and Notion is great because it has the opportunity to be a task management platform. It has the opportunity to be a, your learning management system, your standard operating procedures, all of that good stuff. But if I'm starting out simple, when I first started, I needed one hub for my standard operating procedures. I used Google Sheets. You could do that. You can use any of the software, Podia, for example, where I have a course. I have a PPC course on there, but you can build a course, a course, quote unquote course, and it can just be all of the videos for all of your different departments. The way that I would work it is understand what the different departments in your company are. So if you are an e-commerce brand, there is the supply chain department, which consists of ordering materials, the inspection, the freight forwarding, getting the stuff all the way to Amazon. You have the finance side, which are basically accepting money, paying POs, doing profit and loss sheets, things like that, cash flow projections. Then you have the e-commerce management. So managing the platform where you're selling. Then you have uh, like marketing. If you're on Amazon, you're just doing Amazon PPC. If you're off of Amazon, maybe you're doing Facebook ads, Google ads, whatever you have the marketing aside. And you have management and admin. That's own division of managing people or for administrative. It's, it's just the little mundane stuff that people have to do. And once, once that all of the divisions are broken up, I would go into each division and I would create a flow for any major process. So. When we talk about supply chain, there's a flow. And I like, I love to use Lucidchart for this. Lucidchart is basically somewhere where you can do flow charts. You can put boxes, arrows, things like that. You can have links uh, from the box to a Google Sheet or uh, a website or something. And let's say it's like my supply chain. So the first process is, is like ordering, like reordering. And, and so the reordering process is 
we're going to look at how much, uh, like our sales velocity is on Amazon. We're going to look at how much inventory we have. We're going to do a calculation of how much we need to order. We're going to fill out this PO template. We're going to check the last PO number. We're going to add, we're going to put this pricing list on the pricing sheet. We're going to send this PO to the manufacturer. We're going to wait until he confirms and sends a invoice. We're going to confirm that we sent the invoice. We're going to follow up in X amount of weeks. And then once he says that, we're going to schedule the inspection. And the, so that's a flow. And visual, visualizing that flow using Lucidchart, some people use M Miro, M-I-R-O too, uh, too as well. I like Lucid better, but visualize the flow. And once you have these visualized flows, they should all be attached to a standard operating procedure. And so you have your company departments, you have each department has its flows. You have a reordering flow, you have a paying out people flow, you have a paying out salaries flow, you have whatever it is. And in each of these flows, you have the standard operating procedures. And for me, I built all of my standard operating procedures. I like did a screen share using OBS Screen Recorder. I saved it on my Google Drive. And then I had a like a Google Sheet and it just had a list of all of the videos as a glossary. So it was the name of the video and the link to the video. And there was like what department it's under. And so for me, I was able to filter pretty easily based on the department. Here's what the task is. And I can just show one department and see what the video is. And it was all linked. So everything was always linked to that Google Drive video. And that's, so you need those two things to have your business running in a flow. Now nice. the third, huh? I like that. I was just going to say, just quick reflection. I've Lucidchart and Miro are both very good. Miro is a fairly free form whiteboard, isn't it? You could do lots of different things. Lucidchart is much more geared to flowcharts, which I've used both tools. I think they're really nice. And uh, yeah, I'm a big user of G Drive as well. There's a really nice app, by the way, called Screencastify. I should say it's a Chrome extension where you yeah. can just grab the videos, go straight into your Google Drive. So that's for the people in the early stages quick. And I think it's free as well. So just- Yeah, I, I love I love things like that. I love like Screencaster. There's also an app called Scribe. So as you're recording oh, yeah. that video, it's actually giving you step-by-step -step screenshots. So you record the video and when you go to Scribe, there's the video and then there is do this, click here, click there, do this, do that. And it just documents it as screenshots. So it's even easier to follow because usually, we have standard operating procedures and then we get them converted into SOPs that are like a line and then a screenshot with an arrow, a line, a screenshot with an arrow. So if someone wants to follow uh, the along, they can follow up easily without having to constantly watch the entire video. Yeah, that's really if, good because that is very time consuming. So it's an excellent point. So I interrupted you. So we have the flow, we've got the SOP, what's next? Yeah. So now we have the flow, we have the SOPs, we have everything. Now the final thing that you need is a ta an employee like task management software. What I love, what I used to love to, to use is Trello. Trello is super simple. And I had every single employee, uh, this is perfect for solopreneurs, right? Because solopreneurs aren't having to manage so many different people. You're managing one, two, three, four people. And what I would do is each employee would have uh, a board and I would go to the employee's board and there would be a to-do in progress, ready to review, and then completed and other resources. And every time I wanted this employee to do, I would say, I'm going to tell you to do this thing. You are going to ask me, what's the deadline and when do you need it by and how much of a priority this is. Once I tell you, you're then going to go create the car in your Trello board, put it in to do, send me a screenshot that it's done. And so every single time I would say, Hey, I want you to do this thing. They would go ahead, create the card and they put it in their to-do list. And every morning, the only thing the employee had to do is log in, look at their to-do list, move whatever they're working on to in progress. And at any point in time, I could log in see all of my employees and what they were doing. This obviously doesn't scale 
as easily because once you have a lot of employees, it becomes a little bit more difficult. We have different ways now to do it in Notion. But the other thing is for most like first, second, third employees, they will be doing a lot of repetitive stuff. So one of the things that you can do is create a card that's a checklist in Trello and make it daily recurrent. So every single day, that card will pop up again with a new date. And so basically, let's say my employee has to check my email. Let me know if there's any invoices to be paid. Call, uh, remind me to call my mom. And I'm just like, giving an easy example. And then check how many sessions my, my uh, listing got that day. She would get this card in the morning and it would say, this is the daily checklist of today's date, August 4th. She would go in as she did things. She would mark them off. Once they were done, she would move the card to complete it. And then after that, the next day, it the, she would find the new card over there. And that's how I managed my employees. Every single task was always linked, if needed to be linked to an any recurring tasks from the checklist. They were all linked to the SOP. So if anyone ever needed to do anything, they could always just very simply refer, say, here's the task that I need to do. And here's the SOP. They would click on the task. It would show them exactly how to do it if they ever forgot. And that's how I used to manage people. It was very easy for me to, to know what people were doing. And it worked in the way where I just looked at what I had to do every single day and I would delegate. And ha But having the department view and understanding what's the critical path of your business. If you guys haven't heard of this book, my uh, consultant recently introduced me to it. It's called Systemology. It's the system of creating systems. But basically, there's something called the CCF, a critical client flow. And it's just the bare minimum steps that are required to make your business run. It's documented. Each one, there's a department. And then there's the processes under there. And this makes it very easy because you understand what the flow of work is. You understand what everything that needs to be done to, to just keep your business running and you can assign it to people and you can watch them. If it's a new task, watch it go on their to-do list on their, on their, yeah, to-do list. And if it's a recurring task, you can watch it go on their daily checklist and monitor things. And that's essentially how I was able to manage the team. And then if you want, we can comment on how I managed the team as we grew. Certainly be good to, to hear briefly about that. So just quickly, do you think it's important to organize things into departments, even when there's just one more person and you, is it important to do? It's not, I wouldn't say it's not important. It's not necessary. It's not necessary. It's not going to hold you back from anything, but it is good for you. It's good for you because as you build the departments and as you have that, and as the business grows, it's growing on a good foundation. For me, I didn't have that built out. All it was, I had all of the SOPs somewhere. I had all of the business flows somewhere and I would just simply delegate, delegate. But then there was a time where I had to sit, buckle down for two, three weeks in a room, closed window, closed blinds, and just said, okay, I have to rebuild this entire thing and build it in a more business way where there's different departments and different flows per department and how the departments communicate and who depends on what and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I guess what you're saying is that you might as well start that from the beginning because it's not that much extra work. Whereas yeah. sorting well, out the mess is always a lot more work than sorting out. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So tell us about scaling. Obviously, so you've got to what, about 35 employees, something like that now. So that's, what's the path between say five and 35 employees in terms of what changes in terms of how you manage people? So what changes is you are probably going to hit a capacity at six direct reports. You can stretch your limit like I did to eight or nine or maybe 10 direct reports, but you're going to feel like you're being pulled apart by, by way too many people. And so the first thing is to anticipate that, that growth. So anticipating that growth and creating an org structure. 
When I created an org structure, again, I listed all of the departments and I placed where the people were in the departments. And then wherever I said, okay, this person needs to directly report to me, this person. And I had to basically choose six. And I chose only six people that were directly going to report to me. And then those six people, I had to eliminate one because everyone that was beyond that sixth person, there needed to be a manager. And that middle manager was going to report to me. And then those people were going to report to the middle manager. And so that's like the biggest first step is to start building out the org chart. Now with the org chart, the second thing is everyone who's not your direct report, they need to understand what the goals and KPIs for their division is. And so we, every quarter we sit down and we have a quarterly planning meeting and it's me and all of my direct reports. Sometimes we include other people from the business, but it's generally just me and my direct reports. And we list every single piece of the business for the agency or, okay, branding and brand awareness and marketing, sale, lead flow, sales, agreements, and things like the employee, employees, like employee management, the PPC team, the technology that we're using, consulting, like all of the different pieces of the business. And we started setting goals. And I would say, here's the goals and here's the KPIs that I want to see. We're here. We need to get to here. And then I would just push this off to the middle manager. And I would say, this, it's on you now to achieve it. If you need anything from me, let me know. But instead of becoming a task manager, I became a goal manager. And I didn't care what they did in their departments. What I cared what was about the end result. And we would meet frequently and I'd say, give me an update on the end result. Like, give me your progress bar. And if I noticed, for example, person X from the technology team, they weren't really making progress on that, I would say, Let's talk about it. Why aren't we making progress on this front? And then I would use my brain power, my resources, whatever, to diagnose and try and help them push that department. But it moved really away from task management because we no longer manage tasks because all of the tasks that we need to be managed have SOPs and all of the SOPs have KPIs. And now it became more about people managing and people managing people and training the people who manage the people, which is very interesting, but I never thought I would have to do it. But when I started hiring managers, I realized that they were a manager, but they weren't the best manager. And because it takes many years and a lot of experience to become the best manager. So I realized I also have to be training these managers on how to manage and guiding them and helping them. That's what it's been like going from one, two, three, four, five people to 35 people. It becomes a lot more believing in your department system, believing in your organizational chart, believing in your middle managers. But then, because a lot of people will say having these different departments, what if you need someone to do here? Everyone understands, I I say this in the town hall meeting, but everyone understands, I say your job description, the first sentence of your job description is you will do whatever it takes. That's it. Like that's your job description. You may be in, in the finance department. If you see something that needs to get fixed and you don't say anything, that's on you because your job is to do whatever it takes to make this company grow and succeed. It's not just, it's, we're not corporate. We're not like I'm sorry, I can't touch this. Mark has to sign off. And oh, Mark says Lucy needs to give us a signature for this. It's not like this. It's someone's responsible for the growth of this company. Everyone lives here. Everyone is responsible for cleaning up. Even if this is outside your department, you don't need to overstep. You can always just bring it up and say, hey, I saw this. Is this being handled? And if it isn't, then, you know, great. You saved the day. If it is, no harm done. Amazing. So this really brings us to 
a huge area. So let's just touch on this, which is corporate cultural. Why is it great to be working for Mina and why would people work for you? Now, we didn't deal with that when it came to the onboarding. You mentioned that you're a fantastic person to work for a few and a few ideas. So that's part of how to attract people to hire you, to get hired by you, sorry. But in the end, I guess it needs to come down to it actually being true or you won't retain people. So how do you make your business the best place you can make it to live in and work in? Is it because of giving people autonomy? What are the things do you think that help to keep your... This is a great question. And a lot of it stems from being the opposite of all of the negative things that happened to me when I was a nine to five employee. So a few things, for example, uh, I was a very high performer in my last job. And I showed up one day at 7.05. And my boss says, if you're late again, we're going to take those minutes out of your personal time off. This is someone whose job, I'm not working on a line, right? Screwing caps on the line. Anyways, I show up into work, you get ready, you have whatever, your coffee, your tea, all this stuff, and then you produce. And to them, it didn't matter that I was producing. What mattered was that I was there. And this is a very old school, like insecure point of view of having employees. Now, the second thing was the person next to me was making $40,000 more a year as a salary by just existing and living more, not by being a higher performer or by being more driven and achieving more results in whatever his work was. It was simply because of years. And then I was completely turned off by the pay for experience model versus the pay for performance model. Yes, of course, for someone who's more experienced, you're going to pay a little bit more money. But if the person next to him is outperforming him, that person is going to leave the company and I'm going to give that person that's outperforming that salary. Because it's not about experience. It's not about years. It's about performance. It's about who's going to generate the highest amount of revenue to the business. So things like that, things like being flexible. Sometimes it's just as simple as, hey, I need to take my sister to the doctor. No problem. I'll make up the time. No, don't worry about making up the time. Just make sure that the work is being done. And that is such a relief for people who have crazy lives. We all have crazy lives. No one wants to feel like it's it's like very difficult to take someone just so their health can be checked. No one wants to feel like their car broke down and to rub the salt on the injury or whatever, salt on the wound, whatever it's called, to say you have to take time off from your work so you can go fix your car, which is already causing you stress because it's a financial burden. So it's all of these small things, not caring about when people work. I don't care how long people work or how or when people work. I care about work getting done because... I know as Mina, I used to show up to the office 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. And I would finish my work in the three, four hours of the day. I would eat lunch and then I would just chill because that's what it was. Everyone after lunch was like in the like post-lunch comatose. And I was like, okay, fine. I already did. I already performed really well in the morning. There's no point of me continuing. And so if I had the autonomy to say, I'm going to come into work. I'm going to work for four hours. I'm going to get everything done and I'm going to leave or whatever. Or I'm just doing it from home. I would have been so much happier. I would have stayed much longer. And then the final one is recognition and, and feeling that I'm important and feeling that I'm cared about in the business and being invested in. And so for that, I think it's just as simple as telling people you appreciate them. It's just as simple as showing people that you will reward them based on how hard they work. If someone works really hard, say, good job. Here's a bonus for your hard work. And not only that, if they come to you and they want to raise and maybe you feel like it's a little bit premature, you work a plan with them. Most bosses will just say, no, it's not the right time. Let's revisit this in six months. What I do is if anyone ever comes to me, ask for a raise, I say, okay, cool. What are you going to do to earn that raise? Like, how can we, how can you improve the business 
enough to validate that raise. If you want, let's say a $2,000 a year raise, $5,000 a year raise, that's cool. What are you going to do to generate the company $15,000 additionally this year? If you can show me that, and if you can follow through, you more than deserve that. And those are all of the things that make it amazing to work here. We also push a lot of initiatives. We have a bonus for the people that hit the gym the most and send a picture from the gym. Just and We have a very positive culture and I reinforce that culture. I have zero tolerance to anyone who brings any negativity into the culture. They're immediately removed from the company. And that keeps everyone happy. That keeps everyone relaxed. I operated at around an 80% capacity. And so none of my employees really have to feel like they're pushing the limits. Sometimes shit will happen and they have to push the limit from 80 to 100, 110. But generally, everyone gets about 20% of their capacity free to come up with new things, free to innovate, free to just relax. Because when we need you, you're there. And so we don't want to need you all the time. We don't want you to be always operating at 100%. And then when we need you, it's 130%. We want you to be relaxed. And then when we really need you, you're operating at 100, 110%. And through that short blast, you get us through the finish line and we're back to operating where everyone, because this is a third of your life, eight, eight hours of the day that you're spending doing something. So you might as well enjoy what you're doing and not feel like you're enslaved in a prison. Wow. If only all employees, employers were as positive as that. Amazing stuff. I mean, I feel ashamed of my inadequacies <laughs> as a manager now. And also, I, yeah, inspired and ashamed. So hopefully very motivated to go and change. And I hope that the people who are listening feel the same way. So I know you've got to dash to another meeting. So I just want to say big, big thank you for sharing so much wisdom in such a short time. My pleasure. I hope this helps a lot of people. Thanks for listening to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.